Uh, I, I want to start in a little bit different way this morning. So I actually want you, if, if you will, for a moment here, to take a look at a, a, couple, a couple logos from companies. So I'm going to ask those to be put on the screen here. And again, we're, we'll get into our sermon. Uh, they share something in common. I know this is random. I normally don't start my sermons this way. But I, in, in looking at some of these logos, here's what they share in common. They have some features of these logos that are just hiding in plain sight. So some of you, like, you know all about this. You could name 75 other logos that have things like this. But I remember the first time I saw the arrow in the FedEx logo between the E and the X. And, like, you will never not see it again, all right? You cannot unsee it. So every FedEx truck you ever see, you're welcome. You will see it now. And then I remember the first time I saw the Tostitos logo with the two guys dipping chips in, into the salsa. And again, you will always see that every bag of Tostitos you ever see now, unless they change their logo, which they shouldn't because it's a great logo. And then there is the Tour de France, right? So this happened recently happened uh, a cycling race in France. And you see the two wheels of the bike there and the guy kind of hunched over. Again, what an amazing logo. And I promise you, uh, I am weird, I am a nerd, I could look at this stuff all day long, and I have at times, I have. I would encourage you not to do that at least for the next 30 minutes, but this afternoon, like you can Google it, there are plenty of, of kinds of logos out there. Is there a point? It's a good question. Is there a reason why I start showing all those logos? There actually is. I actually want you to see something that I think is also hiding in plain sight. So we're going to open the book of Genesis over the next few weeks, Lord willing. We're going to take our time through this series. And there is something that is hiding in plain sight in Genesis. Genesis is one of those interesting books, so a ton has been written about the book of Genesis. I feel like it's, it's the trailhead, right, of so many different teachings and themes in Scripture. So you're right at Genesis, and there's like, all kinds of different trails you could go down, and there's tons of books and tons of articles and tons of things on the web you could read about Genesis. And, and it's almost also like there's uh, the folder Genesis. If you click on that and open it, you get into a subfolder, and you open that, and there's sub-subfolders. And then you, I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. So many things begin in Genesis and then branch out, which makes sense. It's the first book of the Bible. But yet, I actually think there's something that is easy to miss. And I actually want to train our eyes to see it and our ears to hear. When we come to the book of Genesis, I want to train our eyes to see, our ears to hear, the references to God. I mean, what a tragedy it would be if we read Genesis and we didn't come to the place where we knew God better. If we started following all these interesting themes and trails, but we missed who God is. And so this series is Knowing God. One writer put it this way, the book of Genesis is about God, first of all, to misread it with any other primary interest, which is all too possible, is to misread it. We naturally bring a truckload of questions to Genesis. You have yours, I have mine. We also just bring a lot of questions that we have about life in general, like where, where do I fit? Where do I fit in now? What is this world? What's, what's happening here? We do bring all of that. But I want to train your eye to when we read through Genesis, the first part of it that we'll look at over the next several weeks, we zero in when God is mentioned, and what does it say, like, 
God's actions are? Or how is God described? So we get to do that for the first time today as we open Genesis 1. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, Genesis 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And as uh, Caitlin Whitman comes, she's going to read 1 to 19, and let's have our ears trained to every time God is referenced in these verses. Let's hear from God's Word today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Thank you for reading so much, Caitlin. Genesis 1-1 starts with, in the beginning, God. And that's where we have to start because everything starts with God. So when it comes to knowing God, that is the reference point. In the beginning, God. If it sounds too simplistic, if it sounds too obvious, if you've read the Bible so many times that it just sounds cliche, then we need to adjust our ears to hear because everything starts with God. To know God is to know this. And we have to say it and we have to remind ourselves of it because we live in a world where if we're not careful, we begin to believe something different from that. So if I just took, if I just took the, the news feed or the social media feed that we read, if I just took what I would hear on television, what's on uh, ESPN, if I just took what's celebrity gossip, I might assume that everything starts with this one individual or this one person or this one athlete or this one world leader. And, and we would be tempted to think everything revolves around them. And Genesis 1-1 says that's not the case. 
and you might be tempted, and I might be tempted to think, you know what makes the world go around? And that's, that is money, either having it or don't, not having it. And it seems like everything seems to revolve around that. And Genesis 1.1 says, everything does not start with money. Everything starts with God. It could be some issue of the day, something that at least for the next week or month or year will have our attention and everything will seem to focus on this as if this is the only important thing and if we don't talk about it, if we don't get our heads around this right now, it, it, it'll send us down all kinds of wrong paths and then something will come and something will go, something else will come and we'll be brought back to this place again, the starting point of God revealing himself. Everything starts with God or sometimes we're tempted to think even as Nathan alluded to a moment ago, that everything really starts with us. And I don't even mean that in a, in a haughty way. I mean, I guess we could. Maybe some people are so arrogant they think everything revolves around them. But even when we're not trying to be arrogant, when we're not trying to be haughty, it is so easy to think it all. It's just kind of my world. And maybe it's, you know, it's, it starts with me and this horrible thing that happened to me when, I'm, when I was growing up and this painful thing that happened to me over time. Or maybe it's... Uh, a rags to riches story where you have had to claw and fight and nobody ever thought you would be where you are, but there you are and you've made something and that feels very, like you feel like that's where it starts when it comes to defining you and maybe it's the potential you'd like to have. Maybe you, you think, if I just get the chance, I think I can make a difference and I can make a difference in this world and maybe a lot of your world seems to start with you or maybe you're in college or high school or middle school and it seems like, Life revolves around sports or revolves around grades or revolves around a certain person liking you or revolves around your image and being able to look exactly like you want to look and that it be attractive and not ugly. And, and yet Genesis 1-1 calls us back to recognize that everything starts with him. Everything starts with God. By the way, this also tells us that Maybe you think your life starts with, and maybe you think like everything started with just like depressing nothingness. That really no one knows how anything started and it really doesn't matter and if nobody will ever figure it out and so it's just like nothing. And Genesis 1 speaks into that and says, actually that's not true. It's not a depressive nothingness. In the beginning, God Scripture starts in a different place and it calls on you and it calls on me to take a step of faith and that's in God who, there's not even an argument for his existence. It's God was there in the beginning. In the beginning he was there. It calls you to believe something, to rely on something that everything starts with him. It lets us know God has always been there and, and nothing and no one has always been there, but God has. God is at the beginning of it all. He is distinct so you aren't God, and I'm not God, and the government isn't God, and the earth isn't God, and the galaxy isn't God. Your life is meant to be centered not on anything else but him, on God. Everything starts with him. Your story is because of him. Your story is for him. That's why you are breathing. That's why you're living. That's why God has you here. It's for him. And only in him will it make complete sense in the beginning, God. You can run from that. And many of us have and many of us do run from that. And you can actually even live like it isn't true, but you will be going against the grain because this is the, this is the world that God created. 
You're not going to change the reality of this world. You're not going to change your place in it. Everything starts with God. The first words in the revelation that God has given us. Think about this, the way God wants to introduce us to him. The Spirit of God breathes out these words, in the beginning, God. And that person who maybe first heard these words 3,000 years ago in the Middle East, and a person that is living in 2022 in Delaware, we hear the same words, and we're brought to the same reality, in the beginning, God. This is your origin story. However complicated your life is, has been, could be, will be, everything starts with God. Genesis wants that to be, wants you to appreciate that reality and then build on that. And it builds on that in verse 1, right? In the beginning, God, yes, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're laying a foundation, and part of that foundation is this. God created. God creates in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And saying that God creates, it does mean that God is completely unique. So this word for create in the Old Testament, this is only and always used of God. So, I mean, humans are amazing. No doubt about it. We can definitely speak of people's creativity, and I think that's right, and I, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it when we say that's so creative to do that and to think of that and to put those things together. But the word in Genesis 1 is something that, according to Scripture, only God ever does. He does what you and I cannot do. God creates. And by saying he created the heavens and the earth, it definitely is meant to be comprehensive. So you and I do this all the time. We, we will talk about things, we'll say the good and the bad, the weak and the strong, the big and the small. And what we're trying to say even by pairing those things together is like we're talking about everything here. And I definitely believe that's what's going on here in Genesis 1.1. He's talking about everything. He's talking about the place where God resides as well as this earth where we live. Saying whatever you think of, God created. Whatever you could think of, God's created it. God creates Bruce Waltke, one of the writers on Genesis, said his creation reveals his immeasurable power and might, his bewildering imagination and wisdom, his immortality and transcendence, ultimately leaving the finite mortal in mystery because God, God creates. I'm struck, though, in Genesis. I don't know how many times you've read Genesis 1. Probably a lot of us read it at the beginning of the year when we're going through our Bible reading plans, Right? So we come back to Genesis 1 and we read it again. I don't know how many times you've read it, but I am struck by how effortless it presents God creating. God creates by speaking. It is effortless. He doesn't. So there are different origin stories. I mean, you can go back and there were things written at the very same time Genesis was written. You can go back and read them. And they have a different way of framing how this world got here. But most often it was two gods wrestling and there was this, you know, conflict between the gods and then out came the... I mean, all sorts of interesting myths that go back into how everything got here. But this says something very different. This isn't God wrestling anything. 
This is God speaking. This isn't also uh, God using like all of his energy to try to combust something that could like make something happen and then he's totally drained. It's just God speaking. Again and again, there's a certain rhythm about it in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm sure you heard it as Caitlin was reading. I mean, there is a cadence about it. There's a rhythm. There are even, it almost appears like formulas. This is said a certain way so that we would understand the rhythm. And I, I just want you to hear because I think the rhythm is telling us something. So if you go to something like verse 3, it will say, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And then you come to verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse. And it was so. You come to verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the, under the heavens be gathered. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights, plural. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. God says, let there be, and it was And he said, it's good. Again, remember, I told you, like, whatever we do at Genesis, let's not not lose track of what God is doing. And in this place, we see God speaking again and again and again. And things coming into being. It's effortless, which I think is meant to draw something out of us. We're supposed to see, as we read in Genesis, we're supposed to read like the full freedom and power and control and authority that God has. Which would be absolutely scary if I was talking about any human being having absolute power and authority and control. I mean, sinful human beings, that's, that's a nightmare for us to consolidate all kinds of power and have total rule and authority and freedom. Like that is not good. But when God, when God has that, notice it's not a scary picture. It's not a scary picture at all. It tells us he is absolutely engaged. He cares about the detail. He isn't distant. This isn't like he wound the clock up and then let it start ticking and and kind of goes hands off and distant and disengaged. It doesn't give us that picture at all. And it makes you feel small. But small, I would say small in a good way. So there's the humiliating small. But then there also is the small when you stand in front of the Rocky Mountains. You go, who am I? And there's a small that you, when you stand in front of the Atlantic Ocean, and you go like, who am I? And then when we realize God is speaking and creating, I would, it would be scary and intimidating if we didn't recognize that this theme of in the beginning God was also, if we didn't know that it was also picked up by one of the first followers of Jesus in John 1.1, which also starts in the beginning. But there it tells us in the beginning was the word speaking of Jesus Christ. John would go on to tell us in the beginning was the word Jesus and the word was made flesh and lived among us in this world. And and John could say we saw him and he was filled with grace and truth. So much so that as he got older, people would look to him and say, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. It's so hard when we start in Genesis because I want you to yes, no, I want you to know God as your creator, but I also, 
Like, I want you to keep tracking with the story and follow it all the way through where God is not just creator, but God loves the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In the beginning, God created, but we're also reminded Jesus is the redeemer who out of love dies for this broken, rebellious, sinful world to reconcile all of it, including people, including sinners, to our heavenly father. God creates. If you just, if you've not thought about the implications of that, maybe one way of phrasing how you could think about some of the implications of that would be this. If what he says set all this in motion, maybe his words matter more than I thought. So when you go to log in to work tomorrow or make your commute or go to this appointment or that appointment or see this person or that person, whatever, whatever goes on during your week, the starting point, everything begins with God. And God, according to Genesis 1, creates. And that entails several things. But I actually want us to keep reading. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. But then Genesis 1.2, like, there are some things unfold. And it stood out to me this week as I was reading it, maybe... I've read Genesis 1-2 a lot, but it's something stood out to me this week. Verse 2 says, the earth, so yes, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form and it was void, it was empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what Genesis 1-2 takes you into is a very dark picture, quite literally. It's dark. It's darkness over the face of the deep. And yet by the time you get to the end of Genesis 1, much less the book, but once you get to the end of the the chapter, you have something very different than Genesis 1-2. You have something very different than something unformed and unfilled. You actually have God going to work, and it's spectacular. You have the Spirit of God hovering in Genesis 1-2. Like in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is the personal, creative, sustaining power of God. Spirit is hovering. It's almost like a picture. He is ready to work. He is going to go to work on this unformed, unfilled earth. And so it happens. And as God takes this unformed, unfilled world, I want you to see how not only God doesn't just create, but God also orders. He also orders. He places things in order. So yes, he creates, but he also places things in order. And I say that because Again, the earth was without form and it was empty. So keep your ears open to where God works. And exactly what does it say about how, because it doesn't just say that God creates. In verse four, you'll notice it says this, and God separated the light from the darkness. So do you see, God not only creates, but God also orders. God separated the light from the darkness. There are boundaries. In verse five, it says this, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And then it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Do you see God ordering things, separating things? It, it, it is going to be this and not that. And when, definitely in biblical times, but certainly in our day as well, when you name something, you have a certain measure of control and authority and rule over it, and that's exactly what God does. God calls the 
the light day and the darkness he calls night. I mean, in Scripture regularly, light is pictured as this presence of God. And this would tell you that not only is that the case, but also God, God controls and rules the darkness as well. He has authority over that. God separates, he makes distinctions and limits and boundaries. It's this and not that. Evening, morning, there's a certain order. Remember, God starts with an earth, and it says it's without form and it's empty. Day one, you see the separation, you see the distinction, you see God calling things, designating things. Day two, more that goes on. Verse six. It says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. There was evening. There was morning. The second day. Again, not only is God creating, but he's ordering, he's ordering things. He's directing things. He's directing how the atmosphere is going to work. So there are, there's water here and water there and there is a distinction and it's going to be more productive when everything is in its place. More form is given. He's not finished giving order. He's not finished forming the world. It says in verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. You see, again, the the references to God, and God saw that it was good. It's like a, a, a double act of creation on day three, verse 11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and fruit bearing, or trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, there was evening, there was morning, the third day. So much detail here. It's giving you like the whole of plant life right here in a couple of verses, saying there's going to be grass and vegetation, and then there are going to be things like grain, wheat, barley, things that sprout seed that people can eat. There's going to be fruit trees in which, distinct from grain and barley, distinct from grass. It's telling you, take a look at what God has done and encompasses all of this. And fruit trees are going to bear according to their kind. So again, you see the ordering of God. It struck me as I was reading this that maybe unusually so, we who live in northern Delaware, or at least live in this area, maybe we have, I don't know, a, an easier time appreciating some of these facts. I think per capita of the number of people dedicating their life to science in northern Delaware. I think of the discoveries. I think of all the companies, all the engineering, all the, all the attention given to looking at what this, what this earth brings forth, what, what happens with it and how things are experimented upon and how things can be moved forward for the progress of life, for the progress of good things. I think of how many companies are, I, I think likely this week, and it may not be a huge deal, it may be a huge deal, Someone's going to make some discovery here in Delaware, some, in some lab and some experiment, and someone's going to look at the, this 
world that God has ordered, and they're going to find sense and meaning in some things, and that's going to be for the betterment of people, and it's going to undergo testing through a scientific method. And I think this is exactly what's being described here of God creating a world of order, and I think of how many people. Here we are in northern Delaware. I think of even the people that are dedicated their life to teaching it and explaining it and understanding it better. I also think there's another reason why here we are in this part of the country, and I think of all the, all the land that's dedicated, state parks and preserves, all the places that you and I could go this afternoon and walk around. It's no secret, I love to be on trails, and I was in a trail. I, I was on a trail, been running for a while, hadn't seen anybody, and I had been running for a while, so I needed to stop and take a break, and so I stopped and took a break, and I looked at this ravine in one of our state parks here, and I saw just, I mean, if I tried to number every type of plant, every type of tree, every type of grass, every type of flower I saw, I, I could not count them all. So you can take a walk and you can see all over the place, this is what God made. This is how God ordered it. It's not just random chaos. God ordered it in a certain way. And what that's meant to do is if you think you've seen it all, if you think you know it all, if you think like nothing's impressive, then just like what an invitation to come step into this world that God created and have your mind blown. And that's just day three of all the things that God created and ordered. The world was without form. Like day one, day two, day three, things are being formed. And then but it says it was without form and it was empty. And you see in day four, God begins to fill this world. He sets more things in order. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And they will separate day and night. And those lights are, will be for signs and for seasons. Think agricultural seasons, but even for Israelites, those are certainly religious seasons. Passover and atonement and first fruits and all the offerings and the seasons. For days, for years. So he is going to embed time into our world. And let them... Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And don't you love even the end of verse 16? Three words, and the stars. There are those as well. Let's not forget about the stars, all of them. He made those as well. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Signs and seasons, the world has time. Great light, lesser light. There are days, there are, there's rhythms, there's patterns. This thing that starts off empty and void actually becomes filled. I couldn't help but read like about the stars and think of some of the pictures that came out literally last month from the James Webb Space Telescope. I don't spend all my days looking at pictures like this. I, I will tell you this week, I spent way too much time like looking at picture after picture after picture of this telescope giving us glimpses into the stars. So this picture is called the cosmic cliffs, but it's not mountains, mountain ranges. It's all sorts of stars and, and all that they emit. And you get like even the little dots are stars that are emerging. I mean, oh, he made those as well. He fills this, fills the sky with the greater light, the lesser lights, and the stars. God 
orders. And it takes you looking at picture after picture after picture to do something in your heart. I welcome you to do it. To stir something in your heart of saying, God creates and God orders. He puts, all, he puts together even the life support systems, the light, the atmosphere, the land, the, the water, the darkness. God makes things for distinct purposes. He places things. And as vast as this world is, it's orderly. Even when the world gets chaotic and it seems like it goes out of order, we even know it's out of order because there is a distinct order. We know, yeah, that doesn't always happen like that. Normally, this is the way the patterns of weather are and this is the way normally the seasons are. And even when it's out of order, we recognize it because there's a certain order to it. These first four days from the perspective of the writer is saying, maybe it's saying to you today, you live here on this planet and just look at everything around you and take note in our scientific age of how perfectly designed it is for you to be here. How perfectly it's all dialed in for you to have what you need to survive. How perfectly your body is made to be present at this point in time. From the beginning, God is here. I want us to know that something has been on my heart, something that just makes me want these first few chapters of Genesis to really come alive, not really something that God only did in the ancient past and we're you know, reading about some primeval history or something like that. I actually want it to come alive today because I think it's meant to. I think we're not supposed to just read Genesis 1 and leave it as if in like this ancient, ancient past, but it's meant to speak today. And one of the reasons why I know it's meant to speak today is even how this world, how this word of God creating in Genesis 1-1, how it's used. I think about Genesis 1-1 is, it, I mean, the whole chapter is, it's perfect. And so some of it seems like hard to relate to, Curtis, when I read Genesis 1-1, like, I don't read of broken marriages and blended families. And I don't read of just painful times. I don't read of eating disorders, mental illness. When you read Genesis 1-1, the challenges of parenting, Infertility, cancer, grief, loss. That could, if we're not careful, place some distance from us in Genesis of like, well, I understand that's the way God created, but it's a mess now. To which I go, I recognize that. What I found most interesting in all my study this week was that word for create right here in Genesis 1.1. Actually, that word is used the most in the Bible, not in the book of Genesis, but in the book of Isaiah. This idea of God bringing something into being, which struck me. Because it's one thing to say God at the beginning of everything creates this beautiful thing. But if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, it's awful. 
the wheels are coming off. It actually, the circumstances resemble what our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are living with right now, a world that's just collapsing, a world that's being destroyed, everything is falling apart, there's wars, the countries they know it isn't. That is where Isaiah is written to. It's written, written into a world of hopelessness and loss. It's not written into a world where everything is going well, it's written into a world of dark, dark pain. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, 21 times in the book of Isaiah, God reminds his people, creation isn't something I did, but creation is something I am doing that I am doing. So if we start, if everything does start with God, but here we are in this world that is unraveling and a community that is losing hope, knowing there are real people in this room who are in the process of rebuilding their lives because it has gone a very different way than you expected. God speaks there, even there, and says, I create I order. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this. He says, when nothing we can do makes any difference and we're left standing around empty-handed and clueless, we are ready for God to create. I really don't like to admit ever that I'm empty-handed and clueless, but let life press hard enough and you get desperate enough and humbled enough. You say, I'm ready, God. And I hear what you did in Genesis, in creating and ordering. And I'm asking you again to do what only you can do. And that is create and order once again. I want, I want to pray for you. I want to pray even keeping passages like Psalm 46 in mind where it says, you can be still. You can quit striving because you can know he is God. I'd like to pray for that for us, and then we'll sing in just a moment. Can I pray? Father, we've heard your voice, and we've seen the work of your son in making everything that is, and we've seen the spirit of God hovering. So we pray to you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we accept that you are the God who creates and orders everything. We accept that by faith. And we submit our lives to you, or at least we desire to do that. We have ambitions and we have dreams and we have families and we have future and we have jobs and we have thoughts and we have hopes. And we submit those all to you because everything starts with you and we ask you to keep creating and keep ordering. I pray that reading ancient history will bring back hope today in the present. And that will mean that our lives are for your honor, for your praise, for your glory. And we ask those in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.